All right, you guys, you social butterflies all done? No, some of you need some more bonus time? We'll just hold up. If you, if you need to talk, it's fine. We can work it out. 10.30, get a good start time for me. I like to be accountable for my time. That way when we leave at 12.30 or 1.30, I know that I've been appropriate with my time. I mean, we only get one chance a week to celebrate, and we're trying to celebrate the vets this week and what they do. And I don't know about you, but I, I have a heart for service. I really do. Service resonates with me. So when I think about, you know, Army and Air Force and Navy, Marines, Peace Corps, all these different opportunities to serve in the world that we live in today, it seems sad that we always do that. Like, we take one day out of 365 to celebrate 364 days of freedom, right? We do the same thing. Well, Pastor Appreciation, we do it one day. I think Pastor Appreciation, let's do it a month. Let's try it for a whole month. Let's just see what, we'll start with pastors and vets, just for that. There's a lot of Thanksgiving, right? One day, we're going to take one day out of this year to stop what we're doing, to try to have a video and kind of remind ourselves that we're supposed to be thankful, like in everything we have and everything we do. And I just was like a little of a clamp about it. I was being a little emotional this weekend, just like I really do appreciate what people do. I work with frontline responders. I work with the police department every week. And it's really an unsung hero's job. And then I started realizing something that my sergeant, who's now a lieutenant, said, you know, chap, when you came to us uh, five years ago and started working, you asked if you could go visit our um, the incoming callers, the comms. I don't know why I can think about this. And he said... Recently, our turnover there has been incredible, and so I've talked to the captain, and I was wondering if you would actually consider your word and go in there and talk to these people who have to answer the 911 calls all day long. Can you imagine that? Like, we, we celebrate what these guys did. We celebrate what these women have done, these heroes that go out and serve, and they get to serve for a period of time. Some of them actually volunteer to do additional service, one year, two years, three years, and I was thinking, like, even in my own little town, right, there's people that sit in a call center, 12-hour shifts, police, hour, police shifts are either 410s or 312s, 10, 410s, so a long day of that, or 312s, of just every time that phone rings is somebody's worst day. I mean their worst day. Flood, f- famine, fire, whatever it is, and we get both. So the call center gets both police and fire And we're just burning these people out. We're just destroying these people because they don't have anything pouring back into that tank, right? So I just want you vets to know, and all of you who serve, it's like, I know it's only one day, but I think about it every day. I'm not one of those people who takes anything for granted. Freedom is only free because someone paid for it. So I said, what's the best quote? And I looked at a lot of them, and this is what I want to share with you for you quote people. This nation will remain the land of the free so long as it's the home of the brave. So to all you who serve in whatever capacity, even my poor little daughter serving as a nurse, you know, there's people out there every day that have to grind. There's, there's people out there every day. And this passage today is exciting. I'm not, emotions are going to be gone here in a second. This is an exciting passage because the beginning of the church birthed mission trips. And one of the things that's so exciting about a mission trip is you have to stop being a Christian for the weekend and be a Christian for the entire week, right? And some of these guys, they go on missions for a week, and then two weeks, and three weeks, and they start just living their lives. Paul, uh, we have uh, Don Shannon, right? He was just going to Costa Rica, going to Costa Rica, and all of a sudden, him and his wife get this opportunity, and they drop everything, and they go to live out on missions every day. If you haven't been on a mission trip, 
this is kind of an early beckon to you as well. If you haven't been on a mission trip in a while, I think enough things have changed in the world that I would try to find one, even if it's just a one-day adventure or two-day adventure or something, because what a mission trip is going to show us this morning. I'm going to give you 10 principles. I think nine was probably enough, but 10 is what I came up with. So 10 sounds like a fabulous number. Whatever one resonates with you today, then let it resonate with you. But why you need to be on a mission you need to be on a mission because like with the veterans, if you're only doing something once a week for one hour, or in our case, an hour and a half, two hours, if I usually go a little long, if you're only doing something for one period of the week, it kind of puts you in a category where you might be living differently for the other 98% of the week. And I want to encourage you something. These are the first mission trips of the church. And because they're the first mission trips of the church, I think the significance for us is, once again, I believe that God gave us modeling. He does not want us to go through life trying to figure it out on our own, right? You can't give us the scripture that says, lean not into your own understanding and then put us in the world and say, go figure it out. That's not loving, right? I'm not trying to teach my two-year-old how to be good. Or excuse me, I am trying to teach my two-year-old how to be good, right? I don't have to teach my two-year-old how to be terrible, right? It's already in our DNA. And so as we get a chance to share today, just like I said, I really do want to thank all of you who serve and let you know that I know it's not just one day, and by the time we get to Memorial Day, and I realize for some of that service means your actual life as well, to any and all capacities and all facets of it, I truly appreciate it. I am not taking my freedom for granted. I hope other people are not too. Yeah. I also want to thank you for letting me take a time to break left last week. Um, I've been only senior one year, and I'm pretty much an old school guy. If it's 90 degrees and black and white, I like that. It's a good angle for me. So just book, 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 verse, 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 verse. But it really seemed like there was a lot of things happening in the world. And so I really, talking with the elders on Wednesday and praying with them, I got the green light to go. So thank you for letting me break left. And for all of the emails, texts, and phone calls about how God used that for you, to God be the glory, right? It, if someone asked me this morning, how do you do it? I honestly don't have a clue. I literally sit at a computer and I start typing a sentence and I'm just trusting God. I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm trusting God. And I got a little notepad there and as stuff flies through my head, I just write it down. By the end of the week, I hope that it makes sense to you. But this is not the wisdom of myself. This is way beyond pay grade knowledge and understanding. I'm trusting God and I pray that it continues to bless you. So likewise, as we try to get back on schedule today, I'm going to be back in Acts 16. I'm going to try to just do 1 through 15. I think that's the first part of the story, and then next week I'll cover the second part of 16. Um, we are hoping to have this fin Acts finished by uh, January of next year, and I think we're looking at Romans. So once again, I'm not going to be trying to be clever. I just want to study God's Word. I want to be a Berean, be proud of God's Word, and have a heart for it, and know what it says, but I also believe that God's Word is a star. So as long as we keep putting God first, we're going to find out that we're in good place. So as chapter 15 ended, since we did miss the week, though, I need to remind you of what was happening, okay? Barnabas was going on that very first trip, and when Barnabas and Saul came back, it turns out that if you're going somewhere to share the word of God, that the probability of you having success is good if God has led you, but if you're having success, then the same probability of troubles and trials following is not too far behind. So that being said, as this first trip ends, and there was some very good success in it, it also ends with a dispute. Paul and Barnabas are having a dispute over an individual who came with them kind of mid-trip, John Mark, and then John Mark exits stage right, and then they get back and they're getting ready to go on this next trip, the second trip, 
And now Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him again. So he had a good rapport with him. He thought this would be a good thing. But Paul's like, no, okay? Bro bailed on us, that's it, okay? He's a 90-degree guy too. He bailed, that's it, I'm done with him, and I don't want to do this. And so there's an initial principle that I want to share with you is that if you are in ministry, right? We haven't even read anything yet. If you are in ministry and you are trying to take the word of God out to other people, there's going to be conflict in your life. And there's going to be conflict with people you love and people you like and people you want to do ministries. Because sometimes God has other plans, even though that meant Paul and Barnabas, two good guys, could no longer ride together in the same covered wagon, right? They were, they were doing ministry together. They had success, but God had something else. And rather than drawing a line in the sand saying, you leave or I leave, they didn't leave. They simply left with new people. And now instead of ministry dying off because the planting team has an issue, the planting team has gone in the ground and God has divided that into two teams. And that's the very first principle that I want to share with you before we even get into the message. Whatever God does with your life, whoever God asks you to ride or die with, if you can't get along with them, bless them and encourage them because they may pick someone else up and continue to go do ministry. Our job is to make sure that the word of God continues no matter what indifferences we have. Amen? And you're going to have differences. So here's a biblical principle about how we can do missions and how we can do life. We don't always have to agree. We don't always have to see things face to face or eye to eye. But we do have to agree that the main thing is the main thing. And so whatever we need to do to keep that moving forward, that's what we need to do. I know that's a hard principle to understand. So as I get ready to read the passage, I'm going to pray and ask that God would bless us this morning. And then I'm going to share with you one other thing that God gave me this week. From the ashes of our best intentions comes the biblical fertilizer of new growth. So we're going to go on a mission trip, and we're going to see what God does. And we're going to see all the different things that these first guys on missions used and utilized to help them be successful on the road. Father God, I come before you this morning, and I thank you for the opportunity once again to hear your word. I pray that your word not only goes out to this body that's here, but to the body that's watching as well. And as the continuum of that goes out, as Mark sends me those uh, stats from the week, hearing that people are podcasting and all these different things, I pray, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, that we would be reminded that we're all on missions, that we're all missionaries, and we've all been sent. And Father, the idea of just kind of using our missions for some kind of weekly rendezvous or something like that, it's just, it grossly underestimates how we're on call every day. Somebody's watching every single day, and I pray that today, Father, that you would use your word to encourage us, strengthen our resolve, and help us keep some of these mission principles foremost in everything we do. Father, we do it so that the kingdom of God can advance. For your death, burial, and resurrection, we do it all. We ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So they're having success. They're moving along. Everything is going swimmingly until this issue. They decide to break, so Barnabas grabs Silas. He breaks left and heads for Cyprus. Instead, Barnabas is going to head out, and he's going to do some other missions, and he's going to run into somebody new, and we're going to find out one of the first principles in that about looking for someone new. So um, Acts 16, 1 through 5. Here's some of the initial principles you're going to see. The first thing you want to do about going on a mission trip is find the people that you talked to originally, and then come back and fill in support. The next thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to look for the opportunity to get the next generation of leadership in. So that's what we're going to be looking for. And let's go read this passage and we'll see how it happens. I'm going to need glasses because I can't even see this morning. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. 
whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And then the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So we're going to get back to that in one second because that's also really important. But the idea here is when you get a chance to go back on the road, he's not going to be, Barnabas and Saul are going to kind of part ways. And as soon as he gets back on the road, he's going to remind himself, I have a calling. I have a job to do first thing I got to do is I got to go back to all those places that I visited. This is about two to three years later from the time that he first went. The book of Acts, uh, the total uh, time is probably about 30 to 35 years. So from this chapter, from 15 to 16, it's about two to three years. He goes back and he resits with all those people that were church planters, all those people that had to do this on their own. And he wants to be a strength and a source of encouragement to them. I can't help but think about that. Sometimes we get mission trips where we kind of go and we kind of do and we kind of plant and then we go somewhere different and do whatever. <clears throat> Maybe there's some wisdom here in God's word about how we should do missions, about going and having ongoing relationships with those same people. Once we build in that rapport with them, we get a little bit more understanding who they are so that when they do call and you do have conversations, you know what's happening with them. So he's doing that. He's going back out and building them up. The process is always build, rebuild, develop, then build anew. Build, rebuild, develop, build anew. So you can probably see that would probably be a good pattern for us. If you're, if you're bringing Christ to someone, if you're sharing faith with someone and they, and they make a decision or a profession of faith, that's that initial stage of building. Now you need to build that individual up. You need to spend time with them, showing them how to read the word, showing them how to pray daily, right? It's like an athlete. You got to work this conditioning in. And then you can give them a period of time where maybe they're kind of on their own. And then you come back to them and you do the same process again. You build and you rebuild it. You keep going until that individual grows and matures. By the way, one of the signs of maturity for that individual will be a willingness to be baptized. Okay? Baptism has always been an outward, an inward decision, an outward reflection of an inward decision. Sorry about that. My brain's going super fast this morning. And so if you're wanting to see how someone's growing, the same thing with going to church. Someone's saying, I have to go to church because I'm a believer now. And someone's saying, I get to go to church because of my salvation. I get to tell Jesus, thank you. Additionally, along the lines, tithing, stuff like this will be the kind of things. Maturity happens along the way because as you seek to grow with God and you're reading God's word, these components happen. So missionaries coming to you and does that. It's a fabulous thing. Build, rebuild, develop. And then once that individual is established, now they can go and take that seed and kind of work on their own. Boom, you find a new person, build again, keep going. So in looking for Timothy, it's okay, remodeling the building is perfectly fine. Uh, Timothy is an opportunity. Now, Timothy is going to be the Timothy of the Bible, by the way, okay? Timothy of the Bible, we're going to find out later that he's actually the prodigal of a grandmother and a mother who have poured into him. So Timothy, Timothy has this incredible, Timothy, wow, Jiminy Cricket and Timothy. This is what happens when your brain's going super fast, you're trying to get so much information, it's like... Timothy is awesome because he really is the next generation of believer. And this is a really good important for us. It's not just that we pass the baton, but we have to be thinking about who we're passing the baton to. We want to see that. So for us, like having this morning, like having Chris um, come and do the announcements for you guys, Chris is an upcoming intern in the church 
who has a desire to be involved in ministry one day, and now all of a sudden our main, one of our people who does something can't do something, and he gets to jump in and do something. We love the fact that Josh has been up there working with the band, or even that was my daughter singing, Dallas, that was singing this morning. We love to see the next generation in the church working, and we need to keep that as something in the forefront of all we do. We're not just trying to bring the word forward, but we're trying to bring people with us. Sometimes they're going to be there for a while, sometimes only for a short period of time. But look for people to invite as you are going, okay? This is the old thing, follow me as I follow Christ. As the Lord brings you in, Ecclesiastes 3, for that season of your life, follow me. That way, the things I teach you, I can show you as well. And because the way people are, it's always a really positive thing to do. So he's looking for this, and he's trying to substantiate, okay, grandmother and mother, no mention of dad here with Timothy. We see that you poured into him. His standing is excellent. So young people, this is important. This is why when he writes to Timothy later, he says, young people do not let anyone look down on you, right? He's seen what Timothy can do. He's taking him on the road, and he knows his, his viability, and he's like, do not let anyone look down on you. But be encouraged, be strengthened that what God is showing you, you're going to show to other people one day. I don't know about you, but if you haven't realized the next generation of church right now is struggling. The next generation coming up, church, is going to be an interesting generation. We have done a lot to this next generation that has made them not as able as the previous generations. And so I understand you in advance and I want to acknowledge that your frustration is going to be real. Because millennials, zennials, lennials, whatever they want to call themselves, they've been entitled, okay? They've been given a lot of different things. And maybe our generation, I'm saying 50 and up, we had to work a little bit different. We had the KISS sticker on the cash register of life. And we were told to keep it simple, stupid, and you wouldn't offend anybody if you just worked hard and, you know, did what you needed to do. And something's changed in a generation. So don't give up on them. Don't be frustrated by them. I'm not asking you to lower your spiritual standards to them. I'm simply saying it's going to be a lot harder for these next generations coming up because they just haven't been given the infrastructure and the opportunities that we were given. But nonetheless, it's significant, so stay focused. I find it really painfully curious, though. Did you notice in the third verse, he decides to take him. He's in good standing and everything's good. And then he just, matter of fact, says, so Paul wanted to take him along, so he circumcised him. That's a very matter-of-fact verse for circumcising someone who's probably a teenager. Wasn't the whole point of chapter 15, you didn't have to be circumcised? Didn't he just go to Jerusalem and stand before the council? Didn't Peter himself stand before the council and tell the council, this is not what you have to do. To be, you don't have to become a Jew to become a believer. You can be a Gentile. And, and the council has just approved this. And yet here we are, matter-of-fact in the sentence. And by the way, he went this Okay, get a haircut. You're going on the road, kid. You know, let's get you some clothes so you look. There's some things that I think, you know, they call it an ethnography study. Before you go somewhere, you learn the culture. And you don't want to offend people. I mean, sometimes someone hands us a business card. I remember this, a company that I was dealing with in, in Korea. If they hand you a business card and you stick it in your pocket and say, thank you, that's like very offensive. To take a business card, it represents a person. So to stick it in your back pocket where that location is not healthy, Okay. You don't know things, so an ethnography study might help you understand some of the, you need to do this to know the people. But he's just matter of fact, he's like, yeah, this kid's good, and he's got this great reputation, so I wanted to take him, so I did. And then, by the way, hey, run over here really quick to the rock shop and get a quick circumcision. And what, teenager, right? And it doesn't say, and Timothy said, time out, uh, didn't we just, Timothy did it. Whew. 
uh, for the sake of medical procedures, we're not going to go into that, but I can tell you this. The next time someone asks you to go on a mission trip, and it's going to happen, and they say, thanks for asking, Brandon, you got to get a flu shot. And you go, oh, man, a flu shot. This guy got circumcised so that he could go share God's word. It's funny, right? Because it's painfully ridiculous to ask someone to remove body parts here. Let's be honest here. This is right. And we just went through the whole thing. This is not necessary. But why would someone go to such extreme? Because, because 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free by all men and have made myself a servant unto all, I do so that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. You're going to see a theme here. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under to law of Christ, that I might gain them who are without them. To the weak, I become weak, that I might gain the weak. I admit all things to all men, that I might by some means save some. And this I do for the sake of the gospel. That has been my life verse since I can remember. What are you willing to do for the sake of the gospel? See, it's not Timothy that's asking to be circumcised. It's his mentor. Because his mentor has said, look, if there's a possibility in a mission trip to have an obstacle, then for the sake of the gospel, I will remove that obstacle, even if it means personal pain or discomfort to me. Because that's how important it is to take the gospel forward. Right? I mean, you have freedoms. And we can wear and do and represent everything we want. But are your freedoms impeding you from taking the gospel forward? Because if they are, what Paul's saying to young Timothy in this early on mission trip number two is, Timothy, if you're prepared to go take God's word to the ends of the earth, then you have to also be prepared to do it at whatever the cost is. And if the cost in this particular case is a medical procedure, you don't need... But what it will do will allow you to have ministry to the people that we're going to see. Are you willing to do it? And we find out that not only is he willing to do it, but it sets an incredible precedent for us. You see, Timothy's mother's Jewish. So he's Jewish. Not a problem. But Timothy's dad, he's Greek. And that's a problem. As a Greek, I don't know why it's a problem, other than the fact that most Greeks are Greek Orthodox and not a believer. So clearly, Timothy's dad is not a believer. That's why it talks about later on in Timothy's book who the believers were that raised him up. Another great non-point for today, though, is grandma and, gra and mother, even when a dad's not involved, don't give up. The power of one parent focused emphatically on raising a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is self-evident because Timothy's going to make it, he's going to do it, and he's going to have his own books and his own opportunity to share the word later on. So what's the result of this? Verse 4 and 5 tells us another mission principle. If we're doing it for the Lord and the Lord has sent us to do it, then he will affirm that he's in it by doing two things. The church that you're seeing will be strengthened in faith and they will grow in numbers. The church will be strengthened in their faith and then they grow in numbers. This is really important for me because we have a beautiful small church and it's healthy and happy and all the different things. And like maybe a younger pastor might be super motivated on growing a church. And one of the things I always counsel other pastors when I get a chance to talk to them about is if the Bible has set the precedent on how the church grows, then even if you're motivated, like your whole ministry is about church growth, it only happens 
when the Spirit of God is in it and you're submitting yourself to it. Amen? I can't make this church grow. Even if I wanted to, if I stood out in front and pleaded with cars, opened a prayer tent out there, and 24 hours a day did everything, I cannot make it grow. It is beyond me to make it grow. But it is in the wheelhouse of the Holy Spirit because that's his job. And your job is to listen to him as he beckons you to talk to your neighbors and talk to your friends and build that community because it is a proof of God's call on a body of believers to strengthen the church and to have the church grow. My only consideration is who's coming into the church to bless us, right? This is all something the missionary is supposed to be reminding us. And I want to remind you, this is something I think the elders do, and this is something you guys allow us to do, like the connection card that you turn in allows us to pray for you, just so you know. I think this is all part of the way. As we're connecting and praying and doing all these things, that's what God has asked the church to do. I got a chance to ride around with my brother yesterday. I love him dearly. Um, I hope one day he'll join me in the church, and he was talking about your church reminds me of like the way church was when we were kids. Like it just feels like I, he showed up for trunk or treat, right? And he's like, it just feels like if, 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 we, if I couldn't make my house payment, like I could just tell you, hey man, I'm struggling. Can you help me out? And you would just like go tell your church and they would be like, oh, rally for some believer or whatever. It's like, you know, my car's broken. Oh, can you send somebody with a battery? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so, it's old, 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 old school. Like how the church actually was that source of connection and that source of community. I don't know about you, but that's a real blessing to me to think about. We're hanging on and we're holding something true because that's part of the proof, right? We're going to be, that strengthens our faith. Like that holds us rudimentary, that this is part of our faith. So it's, it's an important part of the principles. Growing in faith, growing in numbers. All right, let's keep reading. We've got, I think we've got four principles, five principles down. Let's keep reading. Starting in verse 6. So Paul and his companions, they traveled throughout the region of uh, Phygeria and Galatia and have kept the Holy Spirit from preaching into the word of, and then the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Uh, this is a, probably going to be Turkey, not Asia, Asia that you're thinking. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia and then the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. That's going to be very interesting to discuss. So they passed by and went to Troas, went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So after Paul has seen the vision, they got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them then to preach to them. So let's go with this verse 6. So Paul and Silas, and Paul, Timothy, and Silas, there's three of them now, okay? They're trying to go somewhere, and when they try to go somewhere, the Spirit holds them back. I don't know about you, but this is an interesting principle for, for me. Why would the Spirit of God hold us back from anywhere that we're trying to bring the word? Have you ever contemplated that as a question, as a missionary thought in your mind? Like, I'm working at this school, and these are the people that are in front of me, so I'm going to bring the word of God to them. And then you try to bring the word of God to them, and you try to bring the word of God to them, but for some reason there's an impedance, and you know there's something that's stopping the word of God moving forward. What is your response? Like, this is the first time this happening to them. I would imagine that the response was probably frustration. And then I kept reading and I kept thinking about it. And this is what I put it. If the spirit is the one that stops you from going, you have to know better. If a bridge is out in front of me, I might think I got to find another way in. Now, as I try to find another way in and then my car blows up as I find another way in, am I going to stop? Okay, this is a really interesting question, a really conundrum for me. Like, how do we know, is it for me to bring the word of God to these people? 
sometimes you're the person that brings it, the word of God to someone, and then that's all you get to do. Then sometimes you're the follow-up to him bringing the word of God to someone, and you get to harvest and, and prune, but that's all you get to do. And then a year later, it's his job, and he shows up, and on that day, he wants to accept the Lord, and he gets this glory crown of leading someone to the Lord. But that's how it works in the kingdom of God, right? But what happens if I want to be the one to take them all the way through? Like, I want to plant, I want to harvest, I want to... It's not up to you to do. This is a really, really freeing principle for you, so please listen to this. So this is for you that have brought the word of God to someone, and you've been halted. And you're like, okay, well, then I'm free. I tried being a missionary. I tried bringing the word of God to someone, and it didn't work. I got kibosh, so I'm freed from it. That's not how it works either, okay? You're never freed from it because you're not responsible for the results. If the Spirit stops, then the Spirit's leading. If the Spirit's leading, who's responsible for the results? The Spirit. No, not you. You're, this is how you get to remove yourself. Well, I don't speak well. You, you speak well. That's your job to take them. No, no, no. It's not my job. It's your job. It's our job. Okay? You speak. You throw the seeds. How the ground is or isn't, that's, be, that's a, remember, the four soils. That's on them and the Lord. This is really important because so many people are like, I just, I can't go on missions. Uh, I can't greet out in front because that's not my gifting. It has nothing to do with gifting. It has to do with call. You've all been called to bring the mission of God's word to the lost. So you have to be willing to throw those seeds regardless of the results. And when they tell you flat out and they look right at it and you say, you know what, Chris, I appreciate it, but do not share the word of God with me again. You take your sandals off. You knock the dust off and you say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm going to continue to pray for you. Blessings. And you back off. Why? Because there's more houses along the road that are waiting for you, right? You don't sit in front of that house and set up a camp and say, this person's going to hell and what's wrong with them? Or you have a conference, you know, frustrated and missions are, you just say, you know what? That's the way it is. Some people's resiliency is, there's generations of people that have been saying no. And it may not be your time to walk them through, but it is your job to listen to the Spirit because if the Spirit leads, the Spirit's responsible for the results. That's freeing to me, right? Because I see people come every week and I'm trying to learn everyone's name and I have this weird thing about names. Someone told me recently in town, oh, you go to the church where the pastor knows everyone's name. Yes, I know all of your names. And I go over the prayer list with Bill weekly and I do worry about that and I do feel a sense of, Man, what about this person? But it's not up to me to save anyone. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. But we can do what we've been called to do, and that's bring the truth to them. And if God says, don't go, he could be saying, not ready. Right? And not ready means something else has to happen for that to lay down so that the seeds can then find. Don't, don't ask. Don't get yourself all caught up in that. That's, that's the minutia of his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our. That's sovereignty, right? Even when it makes no sense to you. But never stop throwing seeds. That's the key. I'm having an argument, and so this whole thing is no good. I already have arguments in regular life. Find someone else to run with and keep moving forward on the mission. Because when they finally get to somewhere, right, Bithynia, all of a sudden, the Spirit's not allowing them there. And so he's like, okay, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to follow this ministry principle. Wherever the Spirit leads, that's where we're going to go. That's a fabulous thing. You know, I have a friend in town, and he's like a total church planter. Fabulous personality, a charismatic guy. 
their ministry is all very charismatic and strong, and his whole thing is constantly starting churches, constantly starting churches. And he's telling about this principle that he goes to and this conference that he goes to here and this thing and all this thing. And I was reading it this week and I was like, man, I really want to sit down with him and say, you know, the first church planners had no conferences. The first church planners had no training. Matter of fact, the first church planners had an argument. And God used that because they continued to church plant. I mean, you know, if the onus is on you knowing and you being prepared and you going to school and you doing and you... It's no wonder why some of you haven't done anything, because that's overwhelming. I would like to free you from that this morning. Your responsibility is to show up and be willing. And everything else from that point on is the Spirit's job, who gives and takes as appropriate, right? You got one gold, then you bury it. I got one gold, and I'm using it for the Lord. Guess what happens to your gold? Coming my way, right? And then my job is to make sure I got two gold now, who can I invest in? How can I keep this going so that the Lord's kingdom continue to grow? But I do not want you to feel like I don't have it, so I can't go. No, the Spirit's going to stop you. The Spirit's going to lead you. Mission principle, it's the Spirit's choice. It removes the fear of making a bad choice. Let me say that again. Rather than you thinking, I'm going to make a bad choice. No, this is now removed. From the you cannot make a bad choice if you go to open the door and it's locked. And then you say to your mission partner, the door is locked. What do you want to do? Open another door. Then you go to another door. Hey, this one's open. What do you want to do? Well, we're going. Revelation 3, right? Who is it that opens and closes doors? But the Lord. Don't overcomplex things, church. Don't, don't let your mind continue around. Just trust him, right? Instead, he sends him to Mycenae, and then it doesn't work. So he said, okay, just go down to Troas. What's so important about Troas? Well, in case you're not a map expert from Mark, did you bring my, did I get any of my stuff up? Hopefully I got it. This is just amazing. By the way, how complex a journey does Paul begin? Paul starts with no airplanes, no cars, and no modern day luxury liners. And it's estimated that when Paul is done, he's going to do 10,000 miles of missions. 10K. And this, it literally looks like a Where's Waldo map. It just starts going and going and going and going. He's being led by the Spirit. None of this is random. Da, 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 da. Oh, go here. No, we don't have a random God. Let me tell you something about your life right now. Oh, God, so random. nothing is random. When he says no, it's for a reason. When he says yes, lean into it, right? He's saying go to Troas because what Troas is, it's a seaport village. And guess what you can do with a seaport village? You can go anywhere you want. I don't know why you'd want to swim, but you can swim if that so behooves you. But no, from a seaport village, you can go anywhere in the world that the Spirit leads, right? If you're inland and you're with the wrong people group who are not ready for it, but I put you at Troas, now I can send you, and you watch these things. That's what he does. He kind of pinballs to these certain areas, and as he popcorns from each one, they're significant because the way the world was set up back then was... All the seaports were then like the focal points of trade routes. So as you hit a seaport, then from that, all the trade routes that would come from this would then go to the rest of the world. So guess what? If you could father a, a, a belief in that trade city, then chances are people coming through that might have a chance to hear. Then as they hear, boom, they go out on a trade route, and now the word of God starts. See, the ethos of our God is this. I don't want you to overthink it because I already know what I'm trying to do. What I want you to do is jump in with me and trust that I got this, right? Remember the old saying? 
in a boat, not on the water. Out of the boat, in the water. How are we in the world, but not of the world? We have to be in the boat with Christ. If we're in the boat with Christ, in the boat with the Spirit, then where the Spirit leads, we're dry. We may not like it, and it may be uncomfortable. Okay, I get that. And sometimes you're, it is. But when we jump out of the boat, it's not better. It's over, right? In the boat, out of the boat. Key, okay? If the Spirit's leading and we trust Him, then He's responsible for the results. Now all He has to do is get ready for the blessing that is when you land, whenever God sends you, wherever you land, that's where He wanted you to go. Now that's pretty exciting to me. There's a lot of places in life I want to go. Matter of fact, when it came down to this job, the week that I got this job offered to me, there was another church offering me a job, Ambassador, in Anaheim Hills, my brother's church. It's one block from his house. That's a pretty good job offer, right? How do you know where God's leading? How do you know where the Spirit's leading? Because you know. Like, the Spirit's not wanting you to guess. That was my heart that wanted to be near my brother. That was my heart that wants to be near my family. I have this weird thing about wanting my family at a church. Not from a nepotism side where I want my family to take over the church. I just love my family. I'm so grateful for them. And I wanted to be near them. But I wanted to be at that church because it would have been near my brother. But when I came to this church, this was my parents' home church. This is my dad's favorite church of all the churches when my mom and dad did go to church for many years. He was a deacon here and served faithfully in this church for many years. And I knew when I walked through those doors for the first time, like, this is where God has called me to come do ministry. And every step of the way, I'm trying to be as honest with you guys as I can. I mean, I'm trusting God as I see God revealing new things to me. I don't know where God's going to lead. You don't know where God's going to lead. But if you know that the Spirit's leading, guess what? It removes fear to make the decision. Are you, I mean, if you're one of those people who are constantly being trapped by the fear about, oh, oh I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta go, but I'm stuck. No, you're not stuck. Get on your knees and give it to the Lord and say, do you need me to move in that direction? Is someone else been called to move in that direction? If you don't see somebody in that direction and you keep thinking about it and waking up to it and having it run, chances are he's probably calling you to it and you're saying no to the spirit, not a good place to be. Paul says, okay, we'll go help. And I, I'm pretty sure they know what help means. Help means that we'll bring the truth about who God is to them and what will happen when we get there. We'll find out. Like I said, uh, one other note there, you know, is the, we, the they became we. That's because another person has joined them. Luke, the actual author of the book, is now running with them. So in Troas, they picked him up. And I think, just think it's great. Like just doing ministry as a team, bring as many people with you, Go wherever you need to go. Have that camaraderie of doing missions and trusting that somehow, some way, God is using you to speak on his behalf. And they end up in Troas. They come to this city. The city ends up being a, a really important place. It's a seaport village. It's a Roman colony. And it's only 10 miles from Philippi. 10 miles. Interesting because Philippi is going to be part of Philippians, Right? Everything, you see how all this stuff is all laying out. Matter of fact, if you look at the churches and kind of look at it, you can see how a lot of those become the initial churches, the early churches. And the word of God is bouncing from place to place, and it's growing. But in just as much as Philippi is close, they're going to have the opportunity to go to Colossae and even Ephesus. But they decide not to. They go south to Thessalonica, and they keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. And then finally in verse 12, they get back to Philippi, 10 miles away. And something happens there. Next principle. Go where God gives you to go. Speak to who God puts in front of you. Something's going to happen in Philippi. 
that's a problem. They've been utilizing this component that Jewish places have synagogues. The synagogue mandates that if a new speaker comes to town and is passing through, and they're a rabbi or a Pharisee in good rapport, that at the end of the synagogue's teaching, there's a moment where then the individual would then go out to the crowd and see if there's anyone passing through, and then he would invoke in them, oh, John, I see you're passing through. Do you have a word that you would like to share with us? And then anyone that has come for that reading in that synagogue would then also have to hear the word being shared by the individual. So this has been very beneficial to them that God has worked this in. But now they get to Philippi and there's no Roman and there's no Jewish synagogue. Why isn't there a Jewish synagogue? To have a Jewish synagogue, you need 10 Jewish men. So what does that tell you about Philippi? Hello, church. Are you listening to who I'm sending you to? This is not all that Jewish stuff you did for Timothy. There's no Jews in this town. Okay? So now what are you going to do? But but the Lord opened this door and he closed that door. Now what are you going to do? You've been doing this system. You've been going to the synagogues and you've been speaking. Now that's out. Do you give up? Oh, sorry, church. We got here and they didn't have a church we could go talk to. No. Now you minister to whoever the Lord puts in front of you and you continue to trust. This next principle. So on the Sabbath day, they say, well, where do the people go? What happens in this town with no synagogue? Oh, they gather, gather down by the river, okay? And they'll be down by the river and then people who are religious will be down there praying. And so that's what they did. They went down to the river to go speak with anyone who was down there. And when they get down there, they find a woman named Lydia and they decided to share with her. Now, this is interesting to me. Okay, you remember the vision that he had, a man in Macedonia calling, come here, preach to us. He shows up to preach, and the person standing there is a woman. Was it a bad vision? Is there some, it's all throughout the Bible and stuff, there's all these interesting commentaries trying to take stuff. There's nothing accidental in the Bible, there's nothing random. That's who needed to be there. But she's going to be the first convert in Europe. A woman, I mean, I love the Bible for what it says, and that people have a problem with it, they get over it, because this is what it says. This is the first convert in Europe. This is what God wanted it to be, and this is who God sent them to talk to. How important is it that Lydia is this first? This is what I discovered from Lydia, not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So, so can I figure anything out from her? Oh, I can figure quite a few things out about who she is. From what we understand about Lydia, she's the first convert in Europe, so that makes her very significant. As soon as she makes a profession of faith, she's baptized, and then her household is baptized. Who does that sound like? Remember Cornelius, the Roman centurion from back in Acts? As soon as he was saved, what did he do? He went home and got his whole family. Maturity. You're not going to be baptized until you're spiritually mature. You're going to see baptism as something you can do, but scary because you're up in water and people are watching and your hair and your makeup and you see all the, you're not thinking about what baptism says. Uh, someone asked me recently why I'm wearing this little rubber ring. I have issues with my uh, fingers. I can't wear my ring anymore. So I got this little rubber ring, right? This is exciting, right? This, nothing says happily married like 38 years, like a piece of rubber. But this is super symbolic, right? What is it symbolic of? a relationship that I'm in for 38 years with someone, and I want the world to know I'm happily married. Thank you. Okay? What is that? It's symbolic. It's not salvation. You didn't get saved when you were baptized. 
You got saved when you got saved, and that's all there is to it. Thief on the cross is not baptized. Jesus affirms you'll be with me today. Done. No reason for discussion. Jesus is our highest authority. That's what he said, done. But when I get a chance to sit in that tank, and you hand me a microphone, and you say, tell us what happened. What I get to tell you guys is the sweet story of my relationship with God. And being at Hume Lake in 1978 or 79 when I was in junior high and hearing these kids talk about how salvation was a one-time decision that changed the rest of their life and knowing that I was making professions of faith every single week as a kid and not understanding how complex the word of God wasn't that I was making it and I just needed to make one decision and make peace with that. I made one decision and it changed my life and I haven't woken up since then and thought, thank you, Lord, for my salvation. So I wear this as a symbol. And she said, you know what, family, you're all getting, you're going to be baptized. So now I'm publicly saying yes to Jesus, and I'm publicly showing that I'm a leader as well. She's a leader, she's mature, and she's growing in wisdom. What else does it say? She's speaking about Jesus at the river in front of whoever else is there. She's also bold, and she's courageous, right? To speak about Jesus anywhere in a town that has no Jews, especially it's a Roman colony, that's a problem. You know why? It turns out the Romans have a law. Speaking about Jesus in a Roman colony is against the law. You can only speak in a Roman colony about Roman gods. So this is very bold to meet by the river and talk about Jewish Jesus. I love this. You know what, though? She's a businesswoman. It says she was a seller of purple mercantile. Turns out that 2,000 years ago that anything purple to make that dye was very expensive. And so to make the clothing or anything associated with purple... You were doing well. So she's a woman of means and a businesswoman. She's savvy. But what does that mean to her? Well, as soon as she gets saved, as soon as she gets baptized and her household's baptized, what is the first thing she does to these gentlemen that shared faith with her? She invites them all in to her home. Three of them. She's not just hospitable. But she's generous. That's going to that's gonna cost. There's going to be some costs associated with it. And this is all about one lady sitting by a riverside that these two guys think. Ultimately, what is she? She's responsible. She has taken the faith that God has given her, and she is, she is running with it. She's responsible for her household. She's not making excuses about a man here or a man there. She's just saying, this is what I'm doing. This is where we're going. This is what we're trusting God with. And I can't wait to meet her one day because she sounds like an amazing person. But here's a subpoint for my brain. You said it was going to be a guy, right? I still can't get over that. You said it was going to be a guy. Gosh, I mean, so many commentaries, so many people will jump in the Bible and try to find things all throughout the scripture about this is a controversy and this is a controversy. The word man or woman in the Bible is usually the same one, anthropos, okay? The prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Person. A man is no less prayer warrior than a woman. And before the Lord, we're equally prayer warriors, right? We have different roles and we fulfill different roles. But I just want to clarify something. Like Lydia, to me, is a star. She should be part of the women's studies. I've seen a lot of really incredible women's study books that shows, you know, women. I don't know where Lydia is and that thing. She should be in there because she's only mentioned once. But as the first convert in Europe, I would say that a good possibility of a lot of people believing in Europe probably came from the DNA of Lydia and her family. Because the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, so a righteous person, by default, availeth much. Thank you, Lord, for giving us visions and dreams even when they don't make sense to us and didn't work out the way we expected. So let's review. 
Do you have to go to class? Do you have to study certain books? Do you have to get all your shots and your documents and all your paperwork? Probably, yeah. yeah unfortunately, in the world we live in, you probably have to get your documents ready. But what do you really need to do to go on a mission trip? Be ready. Show up. Say, I, God's sending me. Here am I. Right? Well, right now, my mission trip is where I live, in my neighborhood, in my community. Amen. That's a great start. I'm just saying the next time it comes up, do you have a mission trip planned? No, I don't have anything planned. I, I'm just not the kind of person that's doing that. If someone has something and it plans for Costa Rica next year, the ethos for me will be it happens naturally. Someone will want to do it. Someone will champion it and will bring it to the church. Okay? But I'm just telling you, if you haven't thought, well, I can't, that's not true. Let's remove that from this discussion. If God has called us all to be missionaries, then everywhere we are and every capacity that we're in, we, are, we need to change our mind to think that we are in the mission field. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's paying attention to what you're doing. And you don't need a book or anything to be ready. You just need to trust the Spirit. Can a rookie do it? Yes. Not only can a rookie do it, but you should be taking rookies with you. How do you do that? You invite them into your life. You invite them into church. You invite them into your small group. You invite them into different capacities because it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to see something. When you can get the hearing and the seeing to come together, it's going to make them a better follower of Christ. As soon as you can get someone to follow you and to share with you and to join in that ministry thing, please invite them in. How will you know if it's the right decision, right? It's already there in writing. It, if, if it is, you'll be strengthening the people that are in ministry, and that ministry will grow. That's the repercussion of following the Spirit of God. He will strengthen the mission. He will strengthen the missionaries. He will strengthen you, and you will see growth from it. <clears throat> what else will you see? You're going to see to grow the church, you need to try to remove obstacles. There's going to be all kinds of different obstacles in your life that will impede you from sharing the word of God with someone. If you're willing to, to remove an obstacle so that you can go share at any cost, regardless of comfort to you, well, uh, Paul says eating fish is a problem. Not for me, but if eating fish is a problem for you when we go out to dinner, we'll never talk about fish, we'll never eat fish, and I'll be totally respectful to you. Because why? Because stronger and weaker brothers. It just happens. Some brothers and some sisters have different components that make more sense to them or less sense to them. And rather than saying, you know, you can eat whatever you want. I just ate a big giant fish sandwich five minutes ago. You're just putting that, you're goading that person, right? You're just, you're making them feel like you don't respect what I'm saying. You have no, okay, eat your fish. Paul said, I'll eat my fish in silence, but with you, not going to be an issue. Remove the barriers so that you can share. When the spirit leads, you follow. You follow. The Spirit says, this is where you're going to speak, then this is who you speak to. You're at Starbucks, you're standing in line, and all of a sudden you're having a strange conversation with the person next to you, and you're like, well, I'm weird, why am I doing this? Because the Spirit's leading. So go ahead and finish that conversation, and just say, hey, if you want, if you want I'd be willing to pray for you. Throw, go all the way. Just chase it all the way, and let it be, right? I, one of the most incredible things in my uh, chaplain training was we got to read the stories of people who have uh, committed suicide and people who have left notes and different things. It's amazing to me who people who get to the end of life, how desperate they are for one conversation. It was a common factor in a lot of those things. They were just, they were desperate for someone to not only see the need, but address the need and substantiate that what they were going through was overwhelming. And I'll never forget the one of the new, he was like a New York bridge jumper. And it was kind of a famous one for chaplains. And he wrote on his thing, I'm on my way to the bridge. I've been thinking about it for a long time. I'm overwhelmed by the thought that I'm by myself in this and nobody cares. If one person stops me on the way to the bridge, then I'll reconsider this whole thing. But if not, God bless you all, and I'm sorry that it didn't work out. And we're, re and we're getting that in a chaplain training class, which means not one person in New York 
said hello or hi or any acknowledgement to this individual that allowed them to make it to that bridge and then take their life. You don't know the mission you're on. You don't know the words you're speaking, how much life and death are in them, right? James said everything you said, it's either building up or tearing down, right? So build someone up. Take a chance to speak those words on that mission trip. Take a chance that the Spirit's leading you and follow where the Spirit leads. Why? Because then when you get there, who's ever there to speak to, you just speak. You don't say, oh, it's Lydia. There's one merchant, you know, where's all my people? You know, I, I practice this whole thing. Who's ever standing in front of you when the curtain falls and you're ready to speak on behalf of the Lord, you speak. And give it to him. Give him all that you have. And give it to him under the pretense that you're becoming all things to all people so that someone person can be saved or affected by the word of God, right? All for one. That's where that phrase comes from. We're doing it all for that one. Why? Because that's who our Lord is. He, he, he leaves the 99 to go chase that one who's lost. I'm following where the Spirit leads. I'm doing whatever the Spirit says. And then I'm going to take whatever God gives me. No synagogue, no problem. Speak by the river, no problem. Think about all the different excuses we have about, I can't speak here and I can't speak here. And this wasn't set up here and it wasn't the right time for this and the lighting wasn't good. And it was too loud. And it was just, hey, no difference to the Lord. When he says speak, whatever the situation is, speak. Trust that he has something for you to say. Open your mouth and say, Spirit of God, speak through me, use me, and may the words that you're speaking be life to the people that are hearing. River works perfect for me. And ultimately, who's ever in front of you, whatever you get to share with them, share it like there's no tomorrow. I mean, this guy's going to travel 10,000 miles. 10,000 miles is a lot of people and a lot of opportunities. And I'm sure many different times along the way, he probably thought, do I need to keep doing this? Is this effective? Would there be something better for me to do? Am I wasting time? What is the point of this? And all I can say to all that is yes to all those, right? Yes, someone else could do it. Yes, you're probably being effective. Yes, you're probably not being effective. Yes, yes, and yes. But in the meantime, keep going. Until the Lord says stop, keep going. Keep spreading. Because time is limited, and we know that if we have any one calling in our life, it's simply this. If the Spirit of God leads, who are we to say yes or no? We just say yes, right? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I, it's okay for you to not understand, but it's not okay for you to say no to the Spirit. Let me clarify why. There's only one unforgivable sin, right? Kind of confusing? No, it's not confusing at all. In other words, I've killed someone physically, and you've thought about killing someone in your head, we stand before the Lord on the Bema seat. It's a split seat that day. He doesn't say to Justin, oh, you thought about killing someone, one. You killed someone, two. Right? He says, one, one, you're both guilty of murder. But, but I only thought hate in my head. He killed someone, one, one. As we go through the sin chart about why someone's acceptable and why someone's not acceptable, he just says one. Every time, sin, one, one. Then he gets two, but then I sent the Spirit of God to you. And the Spirit of God said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And you said to me at the door, no, thank you. Not one, one unforgivable sin. Depart from me. 
Depart from my presence for eternity. For you refuse the Holy Spirit. Not just me. You refuse the Holy Spirit. How can I lead someone to the Lord? You can't. The Holy Spirit is leading them the whole time. The Holy Spirit is why someone knows they need something more than what you're offering. So when they refute the Holy Spirit, you're not taking the dust off and saying, hey, you, you made me mad and I'm done with you. And you're not, That's not what you're saying. What you're saying is, I just need it. This is like a binding contract. I'm letting you know. You are refusing the Spirit of God. You are not refusing me. You're not insulting me. Trust me, you're not insulting me, but you are refusing the Spirit of God. That's on you. That is a decision that you will stand accountable for. It is the only unforgivable sin. Stand before the Lord with that. When he says, you've had an interesting life. Um, You're about to go to heaven. I would like to review your life with you. Do you have anything you'd like to say before I review every aspect of your life? And you go like this. You fall on your face and you say, Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. I am a follower of Jesus. I have given my life to Jesus. I have accepted those work on the cross. And I know that I am found pure as snow because of the work of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Okay, well, I'm looking at your sleep. All, all of a sudden, you, got, you look pretty good. And you know what? I agree with you. And Jesus stands in and says, Dad, you have to agree with him, right? He's one of mine. This is one of mine. You talk about advocacy, advocacy of Jesus to say this is one of mine covered in the blood of me to stand without the advocacy of Jesus one day and all will stand right the bema seat's not something you can avoid all will stand but with the advocacy of Jesus we have something to look forward to remember last week what we we need to change our paradigm about the end of the world it's going to be an exciting time when everything is fully restored at the age end of the millennium right But this situation right here about going on a mission and this situation right here about thinking somehow that we're in control of something and it's not going the way I want it to go and it's not doing... It's never been the way you wanted it to go. You're not responsible for the world. Were you there when the world was created? Read Genesis again. Were you there? Who are we to tell the Lord who was there how it was created? I love that more and more channels about these earth things are having a problem with how old the earth is. Someone sent me something this week and said, it's pretty easy quantifiably from math to take Noah's eight kids, eight situation, and multiply it out over eight to 10,000 years and come up with eight billion. It's pretty easy based on a a numerical value. Pretty easy to do, which would help substantiate a young earth for those of us who like the young earth and everything about that. He said, but if you add one billion years, even to the ark story, it doesn't work. There'd be too many people right? Everything about what you don't understand doesn't mean that it's not true, okay? If I say the sun's 93 million miles away, and you're like, well, who measured that? It doesn't matter if we can measure it or not. I can tell you this. It's exactly where it needs to be to do exactly what it's doing, because if it was slightly closer, we would incinerate, right? What about that gray little orb floating around out there, that moon? We like to take a picture of that. It's exactly where it needs to be, doing exactly what it was designed to do so that we don't float away, you guys like being here, right? Remove the moon. You're going to come join it really quickly, right? Gravity is a nice thing. We take it for granted. Everything about life has been put together in such a way that even though we don't understand, that's why I love these kind of passages, even though you don't understand going on a mission, it's right there. He wants you to know. And so I share with you each week because I want you to know there's a way that we could do life that, that would be less stressful and more fruitful for the kingdom of God. I can't remove the pain and the suffering because people are going to die. Which is why it's hard to end a service with this, but 
one of our prayer warriors, one of our rocks, one of our go-to guys has left the building. And Merv is not alone anymore. It turns out that the theater in heaven now has Ben sitting with him. And Ben succumbed to COVID last week. And it's hard to not look back in that section and think about the fight that he put up. He put up a valid, a valid fight. And his daughter's still sick. You guys could be praying for Jan. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of lose those kind of heroes. Uh, I see Cookie in the building today, and I'm thinking about Ramsey. And Ramsey's, you know, we're going to have his service in January, and Ramsey's up there too. And, you know, all these, everything that we do, guys, is for a reason, right? The reason is so that we can have that paradigm shift to think, man, he's gone, right? He's lost. And we come up with these kind of explanations when someone passes that's just not biblically speaking true. He's never been more found than he is right now. That's not easy for us, but 97 years of head down grinding, Ben never complained. You guys remember when he came in after he tripped and he smashed his head? He told the girls, I'm going to church. Why? Because him and Merv had this thing. If I die, I want to die in my seat right there. I want to die here in the word of God. Because that's what was important to them. And those are the kind of mission trips that I can share with you because a paradigm shift means whatever we're doing, we're doing with an understanding that it's worth it. I didn't say it was easy. Being a follower of Christ has never been easy. You didn't make a, nothing about hanging on a cross is easy. But everything about what he said comes with salvation makes it understandable. Right? If you're going to be in pain, if you're going to struggle, if you're going to labor over something, then labor over something that's worthwhile, someone's salvation. I'm going to call the band back up and I'm going to pray. And this morning, God, as I come before you on behalf of this church and everything that's happening and on behalf of the loss of my dear brother, Ben, I just want to come to you and say, Father, you know, Ben and Ramsey and Merv, are, they're hanging out in heaven. And now they're just waiting. And it's been a glorious reunion for them. And I'm sure they're probably thinking, it's okay, guys. All these other things that were ailments of mine, all these other things that were impedances down there, um, they've been removed. And one day we will all be together. And one day this spirit that now exists in eternity will once again be restored to not a body that will be subject to years and damage and decay, but a new eternal body that one day will be perfect. And we can look forward to these things so that every mission trip we go on, every time we walk out a door and try to pull a handle and think, I wonder what lies on the other side. We can tell ourselves, whatever it is, if the spirit has sent me and the spirit's leading, then I go with God. And I go with the understanding that that individual behind the door needs to realize that if they haven't made a profession of faith, if someone listening this morning has not made a profession of faith, if you have not asked Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, if you have not asked Jesus Christ to remove your sins, because the Bible says without the forgiving of sins, it's going to be a problem. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to come and pray, Father, we're here, we're here, we won't, we won't leave until they come. If there's someone online listening, Father, and they're wondering what to do, they can say this simple prayer. It's never changed. It will continue to be the simplest prayer ever said. Dear Lord, I need you. I accept your work on the cross. I receive forgiveness of my sins. And I ask you, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Take away my sins. Make my heart a stone anew. And may the Spirit of God lead me to where he wants me to go. And may my heart and my answer always be yes for the sake of the kingdom of God. Yes, yes, and yes. Father God, we do this all in your Son, Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.
this morning, please do so. We serve an awesome God. When he rolls up his sleeves, he be just putting on the ritz, cause our God is an awesome God. There's no Footsteps and lightning in his fists, our God is an awesome God. And the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. Wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. He'll return it very soon. Better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above again one more time when he rolls up his sleeves he ain't just putting on the wrist because our, our god, god is an awesome god thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists our god is an awesome god the lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of me wasn't for no reason that he shed his bless you all. May you have a blessed week. Pray for those around you this week, guys. God bless. Have a great week.